following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. Jesus, you are worthy. That song is both a song of thanksgiving, praise, it is a prayer of our hearts, or at least it should be. That we, as your people, gather together this morning to simply say you are worthy. And if that's all we say, that is enough. Because we have nothing more. (laughs) Everything we have, everything we are, everything we do, it has to come back to you. And if you weren't worthy, then we would have no reason to be here today. And so Jesus... Thank you for being worthy. Thank you for being better than every other thing in our lives. Please forgive us, Jesus, for forgetting that and living as if that isn't true so much of the time. As if our homes and our careers and our families and our our personal goals and our stuff and our money and our accounts and our vacations and all the other things that are out there in this world are better than you. And we pursue them so wholeheartedly while we barely give you a second thought. Forgive us. Only you are worthy. And so this morning, Lord, as we take these few minutes, such as they are, to just consider just very basic things, reminders. That's all they are, just simply reminders. Lord, will you meet with us Speak to our hearts. Will your spirit show us the, the, the many, many places where we are just simply idolaters? Lord, will you use this time, this morning, my very weak and foolish words to act as an encouragement to Christ-likeness? It's not a trite request, even though we pray it often. It is our hope. It is eternal life to know you. And so we gather this morning for that purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, <clears throat> as you've already figured out a little bit, just simply because of the different beginning, uh, if you're a visitor, then you don't know this, but I'll explain it. Uh, today's going to be a little different, okay? Um, not going to do normal message, not going to be in Mark today. Just want to kind of have a little family talk, right? We've done these before in the past. Haven't done one in a while now where I just try to share with you some things on my mind, things on my heart. Uh, just, I, think it's for, I think it's good for us to do this sometimes, just as a family, because that's what we are. We're a family together in Jesus, and, and sometimes uh, God gives us, I think, these moments to encourage us, remind us, exhort us about some things going on. Uh, I'm doing this specifically today in relation to a conference that uh, just spent three days at uh, in Texas. I'll talk more about that in a moment. But uh, this is something I've done in the past. I, I think this is my fourth conference I've ever gone to of any sort. I did one in 08 and came back that following Sunday and just took a few minutes just to share with you some of the things that I had learned there. And it was just, it was encouraging to me just to hear all that stuff. And then I, I, I don't want to be selfish with it, right? I want to pass it on. So to you, I did that again in 2010, did it again in 2011. And I'll be honest, I was not planning to do this today. If you'd asked me last Sunday what the plan was today, and I knew I was going to the conference, I would have said, we're going to go back and look at the disciples, look at James and John, and just keep going. But it was like, 
11.30 or 12 o'clock Friday night, because um, everybody I was with, uh, they like to stay up late. I don't know why. And of course, I'm sleeping in the living room on the floor, right, where everybody's talking, and there's no possible way to go to bed early, so I sat there like a zombie listening to everyone talk, and they all were very kind just to leave me alone just to do this. But uh, I'm sitting there thinking about stuff, thinking about the conference, thinking about things we had heard, and I thought, you know what? We're going to do this. I'm going to take a day, just one morning, and just talk with you about some of this stuff. I told Jordan Saturday morning when he woke up, hey, I know you've already sent out the order of worship, but we're changing everything, okay? Uh, in terms of what my, I'm going to do, and he's always good with that, so I appreciate it. Um, I went to a conference called Verge, and that's a cool name that doesn't mean anything that I can figure out anyway. But everything about the conference is cool, and I'm not very cool, so that's probably the problem. But it, it, was, it was a conference, if I had to... Um, if I had to define it for you, it was a conference about having a right understanding of what the church really is, okay? Really at its core, at its essence, that's how I would define it. It was held in Austin, Texas, my first time in Texas, though I was told that Austin, and if anyone here is from Texas, you might be able to uh, affirm this, that, that Austin is not actually Texas. It is like a, 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 someone described it as a blue dot in a sea of red. It is a liberal, college, hippie kind of town surrounded by cowboys, Okay? And you'll see some of this as we go through it, but uh, seven of us from Cornerstone went, all community group leaders or co-leaders, so it was me, Jordan, Wes Coba, Dave Doucette, Mike DeBolt, and Matt and Rachel Hornbeck, and we had a great time. I brought back a few pictures. It's my first conference where I actually had a, a camera with me, so this is a, you get to see a few things here. So first, let's just show you a couple pictures of Austin, if you've never been there like me. It's a, uh, I kept hearing it's the fastest growing city, big city in America. I don't know if that's true, but they just like to talk about it, so just a few shots of of the area. It's pretty. It's right on a river. Uh, the, it's the state capital. So in the distance there, you could see it. Never mind. Now you can see it clearer in the daytime. Uh, so we got to go over there, walk around, look at some things. It was pretty, pretty, it's a pretty city. Um, in terms of the venue we were in, if you've ever watched PBS, then you may have seen the, the building. It's the place where they, they tape Austin City Limits. So this is it. This is from the very, very, as high as we could go looking down and it's a it's a very it looks big from this picture but it really isn't that big this is more what we normally saw this is from the second level in our section as we teamed it we're like pulling out our baptist roots and like claiming a, a section of seats for it being ours and how dare you go to our seats because people did regularly we had to keep moving around but those were our seats and had a good time there um the <laughs> apart from the conference the best thing about austin was was the food hands down I, I wasn't really sure what I was going to you know, get when we got there, but we ate, I think, at a different restaurant every time, and so I brought back pictures of my food. This is a burger. The burger itself is like this thick, because everything in Texas is big, right? Covered in cheddar cheese and caramelized onions and the best french fries I've ever had in a restaurant. No lie. Best fries ever. Uh, here was a brisket sandwich. I hope that's awe of, oh, I'm hungry now, not awe of that looks, oh, you're taking pictures of it. <laughs> next, next year, you and I are going, okay? You can come with me. I, I, we had gone to this uh, lunch session. They, 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 this was actually pretty cool. So you had the main sessions there at the, at the main venue, and then they did these little breakout sessions like for smaller groups, and they set them all around the city in restaurants, basically. And so you just, you got to walk to some random location and sit down. And so we go to this place and uh, I gave Dave Doucette some money. I'm like, just go. There's like a food truck. There's food trucks everywhere. Or as he calls them, roach coaches. They're everywhere. And I'm like, just go get something with, with beef. 
That's all I care. I, just bring me back something. So this is what he brought me back, and it was phenomenal. So that was pretty good. So we went to this place called, um, this is Bangers and Mash. This is a sausage that's like huge with like a big old pile of mashed potatoes. And inside the restaurant, the restaurant's an entirely a sausage restaurant. And so they have a, a bar of all like homemade sausages right there in the restaurant you could get. But the best was this last place. This is a guacamole and salsa sampler. Ooh. So the one I would point out, they were all really good, but the one that was the best is this one on the bottom here. I would have never in a million years thought this would be a good combination. Guacamole with pomegranate seeds. Okay, because the whole thing's the pomegranate. I don't know what the things inside are. We had a conversation about that. Jordan thought they were called pustules. <laughs> he did. That's it. We're like, we like extra pustules, please. <laughs> pomegranate. And we, I don't know if this was feta or if it was like a queso fresco. It's goat. Oh, they all know. This was phenomenal, just saying, okay? Excellent, excellent food. But we were kind of getting low on food and money, and so eventually we're eating out of a frying pan in the apartment. Jordan and I both were standing there holding a pan with a fork and eating eggs. We were like, it's time to go home now <laughs> when, you, when you're at that point. Um, Austin was a weird place. In fact, it is a city motto, no lie. Keep Austin weird. City, I mean, it's all over the place. T-shirts, signs everywhere and believe me the people of austin comply because we're walking to the to the to the conference that night and th- this couple comes by us and so like i lag behind because i'm like i gotta get a photo of this to send to jamie so so they walk on straight we get to this corner i make a right this these two are walking past me and i'm like Still, still snapping, and it, it's a very young-feeling city, and a lot of the, the locals who are at the conference are very young, and they have this um, strange an obsession, and again, maybe it's my age, or just, I don't know, I, I don't get it. They, the men, they're like skinny jeans. <laughs> I knew if it would be anybody, it would be you. The, the men, they're like skinny jeans, and I'm like, we're having this conversation as we're walking around looking at this, and I'm like, like, do the women in Austin like effeminate-looking men? Is that, like, their thing there? So I, I see this, this guy walking in front of me, and I'm like, I got to get a picture of this right here. So he's got skinny jeans rolled up. As, as he, this was the highest I saw them rolled anywhere in Austin, uh, and he's walking along, and I'm like, ladies, come on. You can do better than this. If the ladies demanded more, they could get more. People there are pretty weird. One of the people who was uh, we... We met in Austin, uh, I'll just leave it at that for the moment, it was so weird that she even gave her uh, phone number to Dave Doucette and asked him to call her. I'm not making a comment about her so much being weird, but about the fact that she wanted Dave to call her. That was the weird part. Dave in here? There you are, okay. I had to give it to you, man. He hands me this. He hands me this picture. He's like, look at this. I'm like, oh, yeah. Thank you. That's coming back, coming back later. Uh, so I fulfilled my promise here. There were some other pictures he was supposed to send me. I was going to show you, but I never got them. So I can't show you some of the more of the weird pictures. Uh, the last picture I have is, is not a funny one necessarily, but it was a good one for me. You see, I have a, I've explained this, I think, before. I have a fear of flying. I don't know why. I realize, and I'm not trying to be funny with this, when I fly, how little I really must believe in the sovereignty of God. Because like, I'm sitting there on the plane, and every time it bumps, I in reflective, reflexively say, Jesus, please protect us. I'm like, I'm holding on 
to the seat like this. And um, so the flight there was fine. And then the flight from uh, Austin to Houston, which is where I was connecting, was fine. And then we get to Houston, and there's a, a delay. And it's because there's like a malfunction with a door sensor, which doesn't set well with me right off the bat. So I, uh, I go to the end, and my ticket was wrong. It didn't have me on a window seat because I have to sit by a window. I have to be able to see. If I can't see, I, I'm worse than I normally would be. So I, I go to the lady. I'm like, can I get a window seat? Do you have anything available? If you don't, it's fine, but please. And so she's like, I have an exit row. And I'm like, yes, I will take the exit row. And I know everyone else in the plane wants exit rows for legroom. I just want it for the exit. And so she gives me the, the ticket, and I go sit down. And I take a picture. Like, I have my legs spread out, like, in front of me. And it was, it was great. I'm very happy. And the seats on this plane were, like, nine inches wide max. Can't, I mean, they were so small, smallest airplane seats I've ever sat in. So I'm sitting there, and there's a lady on the other side of the aisle in the window seat at the exit row. And the couple walks up, and they go sit down or try to sit down with her or where, where she's at. And they're like, you're in our seat. So she gets up, and she's kind of like looking lost for a minute. And then she sits down next to me. She goes, hey, can I ask you a question? I'm like, sure. She's like, can I trade seats with you? And I'm like, heck no. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, so she's like, listen, now here's the story. Because I'm, I'm obviously looking on my face like, I, uh. she's like, I, I have a, a first class ticket. Or first class on this little plane is like, you know, not real first class. She's like, I have, I, but I really want to sit back here with my friend. Can I give you my, my first class ticket and I'll take your seat back here? And I'm like, heck yeah. So, <laughs> so I, I decided to give her credit. Thank you, Carolyn Gagan, for making my flight back a little bit better because uh, I was up close to that exit instead. And uh, I enjoyed that tremendously. Until, until, I should add this as the final part of that story. 30 minutes out from, from Norfolk, right? It's been a pretty smooth flight. The captain, I hear the ding, ding, which you must talk to the, the flight attendant, right? And so she gets on the phone, and she's all like this. And I'm trying to listen, right, because I'm like, what's going on? So, and I can see her face as she, like, whispers something to the other person, and they keep working, and ding, ding. So then the captain comes on and says, folks, sorry, but uh, there's some thunderstorms in North Carolina. We're going to have to go over them. It's going to get a little bumpy, and I'm like, oh, no. And it's like, but, you know, we'll try to get through it as quickly as possible. We'll have you on the ground in about 30-some minutes. I'm instantly checking my phone. Like, I had a timer going, actually, so I could have a countdown of when we're supposed to land. That's not a lie either. Um, so I'm looking at that going, okay, all right. So the, wait- uh, the waitress, the flight attendants are still acting uh, completely normal. But then, like, he beeps in again, talks to them. And then the, she gets on. It's like, well, folks, for your safety and ours, we're going to sit down now. And I'm like, Jesus, protect me. <laughs> Jesus, protect me. I'm like, now I, I close my, uh, my window so I can't see anymore. I don't want to see the lightning. I don't want to see anything else. I'm holding on both hands. And I put my feet against the, the wall in front of me to brace myself. I look like a complete dork, but I didn't care. I didn't care. We landed without incident, and all was fine. Um, there was a little, just a quick... Uh, story of our trip. It was a lot of fun. We had a great time. And I just wanted to to take a few minutes with you this morning to share some of the just things that I learned in our time there. Um, And and this is my take on it. So if you asked any of the other people who went, I'm sure they would emphasize some different things along the way. And so that's fine. I want, you know, God 
speaks to us in different ways and, and, and through different things. So this is just my take on it. But I, I wanted to share a little bit with you. And I, I thought I would begin communicating some of what the conference was about and some of what God did in my heart by starting with a very simple question for you. Don't answer out loud. Just think in your mind. Why are you here this morning? And, and I know that this is a kind of a question that we've asked before. And I'm sure you've been asked this question before, but I don't want you to think of it tritely. I don't want you to think it's just a rhetorical device of mine to try to lead into something else. It is that, but it, I really want you to, to think about it for just a moment. Why are you here this morning? What in the world would motivate you to get up early on a Sunday morning and get your kids out of bed and get them all dressed and, and load everybody in the car? And for some of you, to drive 35 or 40 minutes to come sit in here this morning. Why, why are you here? And, and I'll tell you a few things that it can't be, or it shouldn't be anyway. It, it can't be about tradition, right? It can't just simply be, be because that's what you've always done, and because that's what you've always done, you, you just felt obligated to get up and do it this morning again, just like you did it last Sunday and the Sunday before in the 3.30 years past you know it, it can't be tradition it certainly can't be to make god happy as if somehow your being here this morning makes him like you more or if you had stayed home he would have been angry with you and would have liked you less like it can't be that it also kind of with that can't be about your own personal feelings of guilt i hope you didn't come this morning just simply because if you had stayed home you would have felt bad so by being here you, you feel less bad about yourself for some reason. It can't be because of any expectations from outside things. Okay, so often tradition is like an internal expectation. Now, it can't be about any external expectations either, either from like the people who are sitting around you this morning, your community group family or, or friends or family you have somewhere else. Or like, did you go to church today? Or It can't be about that. It, it certainly can't be because you like the preaching or you like me for some reason, and I get that, you know, in saying that, there's always going to be a sense that we connect with certain teachers, like we, we like their style, and we like how they explain things, and that's fine, but if that's why you came this morning, that's a really poor reason. It can't be because you like the music, the either the style or the way it's performed. It can't be because you like the kids' programs, and you like your kids being in them. It can't be because you like the people or the community that's here at Cornerstone, and I'll stop and say there, it amazes me how often when I talk with visitors, when I talk with people who've been coming for like a few weeks, almost invariably, one of the things they will say to me is, we've never been around a church where the people were so nice. And I'm so thankful for that every time I hear it, and I commend you for that, and I challenge you to do it more. If there's anyone in this room that you don't know their name, then before you leave today, you should meet them. Or you should at least try. I, I love that people find us friendly, but if you are here today simply because people were friendly to you, it's not a good reason. And it certainly can't be about this building. I mean, it's just drywall and carpet and, and glass and metal. If you came for any of those reasons, any of them at all, then you have really wasted your time. Like, literally, you have wasted your time. You would have been better to have stayed at home and slept in and have done anything else. 
than to be here today. Because the only good reason, the only, capital O, capital N, capital L, capital Y, the only good reason to be here this morning is for Jesus. That's it. Because you understand that Jesus is the the, the person, the thing, the, 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 the idea, the main focus that gives meaning to all of those other things. So there's only one tradition we should care about, right? And that's the tradition that Jesus left for us to follow here. There, there's, there's only one way we make God happy, and that's through faith in his son. Because Jesus is the only person who ever made God happy. You've never once made God happy. Do you understand that? Never on your own have you ever made God happy. The only reason God has ever been pleased with you or anything you've done is because of Jesus and what he has done through you. You can never relieve guilt except through Jesus because it's only when, when Jesus comes and justifies us that the condemnation that we were carrying is removed. So if I want to be free of guilt, it's not by attending a a service. It's by placing faith in Jesus. It's only Jesus's expectations that matter. The only reason you should care about the preaching is because it speaks true things about Jesus. The only reason you should like the music is because the music sings true things about Jesus. The only reason you should like the kids' programs is because the kids are learning about Jesus. The only uh, reason you should care about the people is because these are the people of Jesus. And the only reason you should care about the building is, well, wait, there's no reason for that one. In all honesty, if we are not here because of Jesus, if we're here for any of those other reasons or anything else that might have come to your mind, then we are wasting our time. And the reason why that statement is true is because the church, the whole concept of church in its entirety, in its fullest sense, in its biblical sense, the whole idea of church is centered on and all about the God-man Jesus of Nazareth. As you know now, for like over a year or so, we've been moving in this slow, uh, steady trajectory of trying to rethink what the church is really all about. Because for many of us in here, we grew up in context where where church was presented in, in numerous wrong ways. And so we've tried to emphasize again and again, time and time, trying to make sure that you get what the church is not and what it is. And there have been two big things that we've emphasized. We've emphasized, number one, that the church is not a place, right? It's not a place. It's, it's not about an address, This room here where we're at, this this location, this is not our church. Do you understand that? Nothing ever happens at church. Ever. Because when we use that language even, we're communicating that that church is is a place where we go. And it's never going to be that. It never was that, no matter what we've said in the past or how we thought about it. It's never a place and it never will be. Nor, number two, is the church an event. It's never something you attend. People say, where do you attend church? You should be like, I don't attend church. This isn't church. We're not having church right now. 
As if somehow this, this service that we've put together is, is church. We shouldn't even call it that, okay? No, the, the, the church isn't a place. The church is an event. So, so what is it? Well, as I was thinking on the plane, you know, trying not to, like, freak out while we're flying. Uh, that's where I was writing all these notes, so if they don't make sense, you'll understand why. As I was trying to think then, what, what, what is the church? Like, how do we say it? it? Based on all the stuff I had just heard and was in my heart and mind, just kind of mulling around. So I wrote this. That the church is the ever-changing, ever-growing, ever-failing, ever-forgiven, ever-redeemed, ever-loved sons and daughters of God in, through, and by the undeserved, sacrificial, substitutionary death of Jesus for our sins. That's what the church is. Ever-changing. It's never going to look the same because it's made up of people. And people come and people go, and that's people are born and people die. It's always changing. It's always growing, maybe not in ways we can always see tangibly with our eyes, but, but Jesus has promised that he will build his church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. So I know it's always going forward. It's always growing. It's always failing too, though. Because we're still sinners. And we constantly sin. We constantly fail. But we are constantly forgiven because of what Christ has done for us. And in all of our failure, in every sense, both individually and corporately, it's all covered by the blood of Jesus. Every last bit of it. We are the ever-redeemed because of that. The ever-loved. We've been made sons and daughters of God in, through, and by the undeserved, sacrificial, substitutionary death of Jesus for our sins. And when you understand that, that we're sons and daughters of God, not because we deserve it, not because we earned it, not because we turned our lives around, things are so great, but we are sons and daughters of God when we didn't deserve it through the substitutionary, sacrificial death of Jesus for our sins, then you'll understand why the church could never be just about a place or just about an event. As if it could be relegated to or reduced to nothing more than an address or time slot. As if Jesus died for a real estate deed and rose again for an order of service. As if the purpose of the cross was to give you a comfy place to sit this morning and as if the value of his blood is measured in musical style or performances or in how happy your kids are when they walk out of here today. See, we have destroyed the very nature of what church is when we replace it being about Jesus with it being about anything else. Anything when it's left from, from being about Jesus to going to anything else, we've, we've destroyed it. And so, you know, I'm giving you a mishmash of thoughts and ideas from the conference, so I don't even know how to give credit to people along the way. None of this is mine, all right? I'm just I'm giving you what I learned and listened to. When you understand that, folks, when you understand what the church is and what it's about, I think it leads to a number of outworkings. I'll give you, I think I have three here. Number one, then, it leads you to this outworking that, that both Jesus and the church cannot be relegated to a one-hour and 15-minute service one day a week. If, if your entire 
experience with Jesus is now, I feel sorry for you. One of the speakers we were listening to, he, um, he, he paraphrased or quoted the, uh, the, the passage there in Hebrews where the writer of Hebrews is talking about people who aren't mature, not being able to handle solid food and needing milk. He's like, you should be mature by now, but I have to keep giving you milk. He's like, you realize what milk is, right? He goes, milk is pre-digested food. That's all milk is. The mother eats the food. The, her body, by God's design, takes the nutrients out of that and turns it into milk and she feeds her, her baby with that. It's, it's pre-digested food. He's like, you know what pre-digested food is at, at our level? It's a sermon. I digest the food, and then I come here, and I just give it to you. If this is all you get of Jesus throughout the week, you're immature, the writer of Hebrews says. You're living off of milk. You have nothing more, nothing else. How are you growing? You can live off milk for a while, I don't know how long, but it's not healthy for you forever. No, we, we can't relegate Jesus and our walk with Jesus just to this hour so that when this hour is done, we walk out and it's like, oh, that was nice. Now I'll go back to my normal life. No, and another one of the speakers talked about the concept that, that church is every day. That this, you, you are no more or less the church an hour ago than you are right now. You're no more or less the church an hour from now than you are right now. And tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday, we're the church all the time, every day. And everything we do in our workplaces and neighborhoods and homes, we're always the church. The fact of the matter is we just got together today. This is great, right? We just, we just got together today. That's why this isn't church. It couldn't... Church is every day, and we can't relegate our understanding of either Jesus or the church to this one hour and 15 minute service on this one day a week at this one location. It just, it just won't work. No wonder the American church is anemic, because they, they, we're kind of compartmentalized this thing. Well, today is my church day, and Monday through Friday is my work time, and Saturday is the family time. So you're not like a family man the rest of the week? <laughs> You're not responsible for your work stuff on other, like, we don't treat almost any other thing in life like that, but people happily treat the church this way. Number two, second outworking I would point out, that, that without Jesus then, if we, if we have separated our understanding of church from Jesus, without Jesus then, church becomes a chore. It becomes a chore. See, have you ever wondered why? I know I, know I have. I, I was convicted by this. Somebody asked this question. Have you ever wondered why we're bored and unfulfilled with church? Why it doesn't excite us and we don't really care and like doing the things that we have to do or are asked to do or need to do. Or it's like, oh, I'm so busy. I don't want to do anything else. Like I, I feel that way so often in my heart if I'm honest. Why is it? Well, it's, it's probably because we're doing it without Jesus in mind. That we're just living and acting and operating in this mindset that church is something we have to get done. And somebody, who, the guy who was saying it, I don't even remember who it was now, he, he made this comment that with Jesus, ministry is worship. Without Jesus, it's just labor. It's just another thing that you add to your calendar, your plate, and and, and nobody gets excited about that, right? Who wants more things on their calendar? Raise your hand. Who wants more busyness in life? 
Nobody ever is like, that's me. That's certainly not me. And if I can avoid things, I do. And I, I was so convicted by that because I'm realizing as I'm listening to him, I, what have I done? <laughs> what have I done? What, trying to, to do ministry without Jesus? I mean, it's just, it sounds stupid when you say it out loud, and yet it's so easy in the heart to go right to that spot. I just got to get this done. I will push through. and uh, No wonder we're bored with it. Because we're doing it without him, and that's not going to work. Number three, because Jesus has undeservedly, sacrificially, substitutionally, substitutionarily, I should say, made us sons and daughters of the king by his blood, then guess what that means? It means then that we have a kingdom and we have a, a mission to fulfill as sons and daughters of the king. I mean, think about the kingdom for a moment. God's kingdom is not like any other kingdom that you will ever see hear, or read about in history. It just isn't. Because God's kingdom is made up of righteousness, justice, love, peace, harmony, unity, compassion, reconciliation, joy, hope, patience, selflessness, humility, truth, generosity, forgiveness, mercy, and grace, amongst other things, I'm sure. Does that define our church? If, would anyone look in on us and say, oh, that is a church that loves righteousness and is just and loves people and is filled with peace and harmony and unity and compassion and seeks to reconcile people and has joy and hope and patience and selflessness and humility and is filled with truth and generosity and forgive anyone? Look at Cornerstone from the outside and see these things? Would they look at our families? Your home, would they look at your home and say, that is a home marked by all these things, by the kingdom of God? Again, I don't know. I'm afraid I do know and don't want to admit it. These things should define us. These these things should become our mission. And, and, And as I say that, I don't want you to hear it the wrong way because even in those things, we pursue them. Catch this in, through, and by Jesus. Because if we pursue those things, like like love, for example, if we simply pursue love for love's sake, we have been, uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting myself confused. If we don't pursue love for the right reason, if we simply pursue love for love's sake, it's not going to work. But if we do it because we have been supremely loved by Christ, guess what? Then you can truly love. We can't pursue generosity simply for generosity's sake, but because God was supremely generous to us in giving us his son. See, none of these things, I I could go through all of them, but I won't for time's sake. None of these things can be pursued apart from Jesus, because if we pursue these things without Christ, then, then we're no better than all the charitable organizations around us. We're the United Way or the Red Cross or... You name it. That's all we've become. If we pursue all these good things without Jesus, that's all we've become. And if we pursue Christ without pursuing those things, then we're hypocrites at best or possibly don't even know Jesus. Matthew 25, for time's sake, I won't read it, but just, just remember, I'll, say, I'll quote it briefly. Remember in Matthew 25 where Jesus says to the sheep on his one hand, blessed are you, enter my kingdom because you saw me sick and you took care of me and I was naked and you clothed me and I was hungry and you fed me and I was in jail and you visited me. And like, when did we ever do that? Much as you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. 
Then he says to the ghost on the other side, hey, cursed are you because you didn't do all those things. When did we, didn't, when did we not do them? Like, you didn't do them to the least of these, so you, it's like not doing it to me. And then he says, you guys, the, you who did these things to the, le- to the least of these, enter into my kingdom and the rest are sent to eternal punishment? And, and the guy who was, who was talking about this was very careful to point out, we're not talking about that they were saved by doing these things, but it was these things that evidenced whether or not they really were. It was about fruit. And how do we know? It's not that they're saved by that, because you're always saved by grace through faith alone and Christ alone. That's clear. But how do we know? What shows it? It's the fruit. And if we pursue Christ without pursuing all these things that are markers of his kingdom, then we're hypocrites at best and maybe unbelievers at worst. So what do we do today? Okay, Just four thoughts to end with. These will all go pretty quick. One, if, if, if this little talk is, is, again, weak and simple as it is, is in any way convicting to you, then I'll give you the things that I left with. One is we have to sit at Jesus' feet again. Because the temptation after you hear that and think that and come off of a conference is like, I'm going to go home and I'm going to create, for me at least, because of my personality, I'm going to go home and I'm going to create 30 action items. And, and one of the, the speakers pointed that out and he's like, you know the saying, you know, don't just sit there, do something? This is one of those times it's don't just do something, sit there. Like you need to go sit at the feet of Jesus. And I don't even know what that means completely. <laughs> Like, just, just go and just bask in his word and, and pray and spend time with him and, and just, just get to know him. Because in that, the spirit will divinely, secretly, mysteriously work in us to begin doing things we probably would have never thought of if we went home and created the action item list first. We, we have to be a people who know Jesus. If we don't know Jesus, then what are we doing here? Why come? Why? If it's not about him, then what's the point? So, so that's something that I've taken away. I just I need to go spend some time just sitting at Jesus' feet. In terms of how we go live that out, I, somebody made the comment along the way, we just need to get involved. And, and I just, to explain what I mean by that, I, I just put three little bullets for myself. We need to get Jesus involved in our families. And I fail at that all the time. Do our children even really understand that we love Jesus? Could they explain that to you if you went up and asked them? <laughs> My children, talking about, could, could they affirm that for you? We, we need to be engaged in our families and not just, just loving them and, and, and spending time. Those things are great, but it has to be about more than that. It has to be about showing them Jesus. Helping them get to know Jesus. Learning about Jesus together as families, as neighbors, neighborhoods here within this area that God has placed us. How are we bringing Jesus to these neighborhoods that we're in? Do you even know your neighbors? Do, do, do you even know what's going on in your area, your, your neighborhood? Do you have any clue? How, how is the gospel ever going to go out when we stay locked away inside our homes? And I'm as guilty of that as anybody, so I'm not calling you out. I'm calling myself out. I was convicted by that. We need to get involved in our cities. We we live in these cities, Virginia Beach, Chesapeake, Norfolk, whatever, and we're like, 
We don't even know. People don't even care what's going on around them. What? Shame on us. There are unbelievers all around us who are doing more to help our cities than we are. You realize that? They're the ones who are out there taking care of poor people. And they're the ones who are going into broken homes and trying to to help single moms or single dads. Kids who who have no one who loved them. It's the unbelievers who are taking care of all those people. I'm ashamed of myself. We need to get involved somehow. I don't even know how. I'm going to sit at Jesus' feet first because I'm trying to not like make an action item list. But but like sometime I'm going to have to get up and go do something. It might just be one thing. I don't even know yet. I we we got to do something. Uh, another point, number three, and I know I'm going to say this, and you're going to think I have ulterior motives, and I really don't. Someone made the point, don't leave. Like, he, it, it was a guy from Australia. He was making the comment that Americans are the most mobile society in the world. They're born here, but then they go here for college, and they move here, and they, like, move around. They're all, all over the place. He's like, here we are as, as Christians, as the church, right? And we've got cities and neighborhoods and states and countries to reach. We don't even stay in them long enough to ever even have a hope. And I get it. I'm in a military town, right? <laughs> and sometimes you don't have control over that. And so I, I nothing I can say to that point. But as much as we have control, we just need to commit. Even those of you in the military, if you have an option, if you can work it out, we just need to commit because who's going to reach Virginia Beach? Who's going to reach Chesapeake? Who's going to reach Norfolk? These are towns where people are constantly in and out. Who's going to be the people who say, no, we love what's going on here, and we want to be a part of God's kingdom here, here, here? And so it may not be my favorite place in the world, but I'm staying. I'm committing to be a part of what God is doing here. We need to to stay. And then number four, and, and I close with this. We need to... Remember, above all else, that Jesus is better than anything. Kind of the bookend from sitting at his feet, remembering that he's better than anything. We sing the song, and we've been talking about it since the trip. We want to learn it here. It's just called Jesus is Better. So more than my sorrows, Jesus is better. And then this line that is hauntingly convicting, make my heart believe. Because I know up here that Jesus is better than a lot of things. I don't always know it here. Is Jesus better to you than your job? Is he better to you than your house? Is he better to you than your car? Is he better to you than, than, than your children, than your spouse, than anything, anything? Is Jesus better? And we all can affirmatively say with our minds, yes, we know he is. But in our hearts, I doubt many of us really believe that. And so there is a real sense that we as his people need to just fall on our knees and say, more than anything, Jesus is better. Lord, please make my heart believe that. It's not an action problem we have. It's a belief problem we have. It's a faith problem we have. We don't believe that. And so as you sit at Jesus' feet, beg him on that point. I I walked out of of the conference um, like mostly encouraged, right? You can't you can't sit through that and like not be convicted and 
and walk out a little discouraged too, at least I, I can't. Um, and, and again, I'm trying to fight this natural tendency in my heart to just want to like go implement a whole bunch of stuff. Because it's not about that. Ultimately, this all has to come back to Jesus. It has to come back to him. Even in the good of trying to, to do things better and, and to, to be more faithful, even in that, we can take our eyes off of Jesus. And so it's that constant, you know, idle factory that I call my heart, turning them out. Even good things, turning them out. Left and right, turning them out. Another idol, another idol, another idol, turning them out. And, and we have to recognize this. We have to fight against it by the Spirit's help. We have to bring our eyes back to Christ day after day after day. And so if today all I've done is just reminded you of things you've known, that's good enough. That's what we're here for. To remind one another as the family of Christ, as sons and daughters of the King, that we have been undeservedly, sacrificially, substitutionarily set free by Jesus, the Son of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we know you're better. We know it in our heads. And yet we so often forget and we take our eyes off of you and put it on so many other things, many of which are not bad. That's the hardest part of this. It's not bad to focus on many of the things we've mentioned today. Where it becomes a problem is when we do it without you. And that is what I was convicted about, Lord. And so, Father, here as we, we just take this moment to pause and be reminded of these really basic ideas, these basic truths, will you convict all of us individually, families, spouses, parents, workers, disciples, Lord, convict us of our, of our sin and our lack of belief, our lack of faith in taking our eyes off of you. And will you lovingly, as you always do, because we are already forgiven, ever forgiven, ever redeemed, and ever loved, will you take us and push us back in the right direction, Lord? Make our hearts believe. Help us to go from this place, not with action items in mind, but with a commitment to sit at your feet, to, to remember that this is about you and to love you and pursue you most of all, and then to take that at whatever point, I don't know when that comes for each of us, but to take that and to go, just to go into our families, into our neighborhoods, into our, our cities, and be the sons and daughters of the king, possessors of the kingdom that you have called us to be. Lord, I thank you for your word and how powerful it is. The conference was nothing, and the people who spoke were nothing. But you are everything. Your word is powerful. And it changes hearts. So I thank you for changing mine and working in my heart the past three days. In Jesus' name.